0: others knew the truth about Paul. He said in verse 8, he said, by evil report and good report, some knew what he was really like. They knew he was a man of God. They knew he was filled with integrity. They knew he was a righteous uh, individual. But regardless of what people had to say about him, whether positive or negative, Paul just remained loyal to Christ. It, It didn't change him one way or another. If everybody applauded him, it wouldn't make any difference. If everybody hated him, it wouldn't make any difference. No, I didn't feel good to Paul. Nobody wants to be disliked.
1: Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we'll conclude the three-part message in Pastor Steve's series about hindrances to the gospel, taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul recorded for us a long list of the kinds of things and the ways he endured in order to not hinder the gospel. In verse 8, he said, By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true. Let's consider how that might look in our own lives. Here's Pastor Steve.
0: Paul introduces this new trial by presenting the various ways that people evaluated him and his ministry. Some had high praise for the apostle, his ministry. Some had only negative things to say about Paul. But this is the paradox of ministry. This is the puzzlement. You are loved deeply by some and you are hated deeply by others. You are correctly evaluated by some and you are completely misjudged by others. Let's see what Paul means by what he writes. He writes, number one, by glory and dishonor. Some held Paul in high esteem, high regard. This is how the word, by by the way, glory is used here. Doesn't mean that they worshipped him. It just means they appreciated him. He was appreciated. He was admired uh, by many for his selfless ministry. And I, I think one of the greatest illustrations of this, let's look at Acts chapter 20. Remember, we, we, we won't have to go through everything in Acts 20, but the setting is this. In Acts chapter 20, Paul had called the elders from the church at Ephesus To meet him in a place called Miletus. And there he explained to the elders that they're not going to see him anymore. It's his final charge to them. It's a charge to church leaders. And he said, guys, I've been with you for years. I've poured out my life. I worked hard with these hands. Never took any money from you. I taught you day and night. I taught you with tears. I went house to house. I taught Jews. I taught Gentiles. I called people to repent. I called them to faith in Christ. I have given myself. To you, And I've got to tell you, he says in in verse 28, he says, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm leaving, but I want you to take heed to yourself and take heed to this flock. I've taken care of this flock for some time, but now it's your turn to take care. You've got to do it. And and I want you to know after I leave, there are going to be men who will come in from uh, outside and they're going to lead the disciples astray. There's going to be some from your own rank. Some of you as elders are going to lead people astray. Make sure you teach them the word. Of God, and he said in verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver, no one's gold or clothing. And then he explains that he not only taught them the word of God, he lived an exemplary life before them. But notice verse 36, when he had said this, when he said these things. He knelt down and prayed with them all. So this was a a departure. This is a farewell prayer. And here's their response. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Folks, this is a man deeply loved. These are strong elders in the church. These are the most godly men in this church. And they are falling on their knees and falling over Paul and embracing him and kissing his neck repeatedly. And then they can't. They they, they want to be with him as much as possible. They accompany him to the boat. This man was deeply loved. This man had uh, people who had deep affection for him. The Philippians certainly loved Paul dearly. They They gave him uh, on more than one occasion financial uh, gifts. Paul wrote them in chapter four and said, nobody else was sensitive to my needs. Nobody was thoughtful like you. I'm not coveting it. I didn't say that I desired it, but it's so kind of you to do this for me. Paul deeply appreciated them. They deeply appreciated him to the Galatians. It says in Galatians 414, That when they had received Paul, the Galatians, initially, Paul said, you received me as if I was Christ Jesus himself. Not meaning that they worshipped him, but that you treated me like you would treat Jesus if he came here. And that's not all. The various churches throughout the Mediterranean region recognized Paul as their spiritual leader, their father in the faith. They just loved him for bringing them the gospel. But others loathed Paul. They despised him. Leaders in the Jewish community hated him. They opposed him as a heretic. He was called a heretic. The Roman authorities beat him. They couldn't stand him. False teachers who had come into the churches were his bitter enemies because they were the bitter enemies of Christ. So Paul was both popular and extremely unpopular, a beloved and appreciated apostle and a despised and dishonored man. Yet he says, I endured it all. I endure it all. I've endured it, continuing in ministry as a loyal servant of Christ. And what Paul is doing is saying, doesn't that prove that I live for Christ? I didn't didn't live for, for, uh, for you to admire me. I didn't live for personal admiration. I didn't live to be popular. I ministered for Christ. That's all part of ministry. It, it just happens. You don't live for the applause of people. You faithfully serve Christ, regardless of how people perceive you. Some will love you. Some will hate you. And ultimately, the only thing that matters is that Christ is pleased with you. We make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. Second Corinthians five, nine. But not only do people have varying perspectives and perceptions about ministers, but some will even voice their Perceptions. Notice the next phrase in verse eight by evil report and good report. This isn't the same as glory and dishonor that he's just mentioned. Evil reports were the evil things some were saying about Paul. But watch this behind his back. Evil reports are the evil things they said about Paul when he wasn't there, when he was away. And I think especially he's talking about Corinth. He's especially referring to Corinth while he was absent from the Corinthians. False teachers had come in, as you know, and they accused Paul of all kinds of things. And and many of the Corinthians bought into it. And that's why you have this letter. The Corinthians didn't embrace it. There doesn't need to be a letter like this. The Corinthians, some of them were saying Paul was a liar who couldn't keep his word. He couldn't keep his word about visiting them. He certainly can't keep. You can't believe what he has to say about Christ. Some said he was greedy for their money that, yes, yeah, he's taken an offering, he says, for the poor Jewish believers at uh, Jerusalem. But we think Paul's taking a little bit off of the top. That's why he didn't want money from us. He's doing fine. Others said he was a weak speaker. As you, as you know, we've looked at this. He was a weak speaker. um Not a particularly good looking man. They said he some said he was an immoral man. He did things in private that uh, he's embarrassed to tell us about. Others said he always seems to be suffering. There's only one explanation for this. One interpretation. The man keeps suffering because God keeps punishing him. He's such a sinful individual and punishing him for trying to pass himself off as an apostle. When in reality, he's nothing more than a phony, self-centered deceiver. Now, that's what was going on at Corinth. Deeply hurt Paul. But others knew the truth about Paul. He said in verse eight, he said, by evil report and good report, some knew what he was really like. They knew he was a man of God. They knew he was filled with integrity. They knew he was a righteous uh, individual. But regardless of what people had to say about him, whether positive or negative, Paul just remained loyal to Christ. It, It didn't change him one way or another. If everybody applauded him It wouldn't make any difference. If everybody hated him, it wouldn't make any difference. I didn't feel good to Paul. Nobody wants to be disliked. And I'm sure Paul was deeply hurt. In fact, I know he was because later he says in verse 11 of chapter six, our mouth is freely or spoken freely to you. O Corinthians, our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak to you as children open wide to us as well. He's saying, I've loved you. Why won't you love me back like I loved you? So Paul was hurt by this. I want you to know everyone who serves Christ, especially in a vocational way, will experience slanderous things said about them, as well as so many wonderful things said about them. One of the interesting things that I've experienced as pastor here at Lakeside is that uh, when visiting speakers come and speak and they, they mingle with you and maybe they're in your home or you take them out or they're here for an extended period of time. You don't know this, but usually they tell me at some time or they write me and say, you know, your people speak so well of you. You are really loved. And I know that I want you to know that. And I appreciate that, deeply appreciate that. But it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. And I want to just tell you so I can encourage some, because there are some who uh young men preparing for the ministry that that come to Lakeside and sometimes they're in an internship program or I work with them in some kind of discipleship. And they look around, they look at what's happening here at Lakeside and they think, uh, boy, it, it must be so great and so easy and all that um, it's not it's not easy now, but it especially was not easy in the early days. And I always try to encourage them. So let me just tell you, for the sake of those who uh, are planning to go into ministry, to understand some things. When I was voted in as pastor, I, uh, I was a very young staff member. It was about that time, about the, uh, the late 70s, early 80s. I had come to Christ as a University of South Florida student, a freshman. And in my second year, a friend invited me to this church and I was part of the college ministry and got grounded in the word here before going off to, to Bible college. So this this was my home church. And so when Michelle and I graduated from Moody and we came here, I thought I was going to be here for just a year and move on to a, another pastor. And I just wanted to be an intern and understand about the church. I figured if I was going to be a pastor. I needed to know what pastors did so. It made sense to me to to do that. But the uh, the former pastors here asked me to come on staff. And so I did come on staff. I was first minister of evangelism, then associate pastor and held a number of uh, specific responsibilities and, and jobs here. And when our senior pastor left, I think it was about 79 or, or 80, I became the interim pastor as well as a candidate for the position of pastor. I didn't nominate myself. Uh, there were some others. There were some um, uh, strong elders who felt like I should be a candidate. And had they uh, they asked me if I thought I was too young, I would have said, yes, I was 27 at the time with not much experience. But anyway, I became a, a candidate. And I realized shortly after that, that uh, there were some people who didn't like me the way I would have liked to have been liked. that Lakeside became it's not the church. You know it today. It became a divided church. And sadly enough, a lot of it was over me and the future direction of the ministry here. Some people wanted me to be pastor and felt very strongly about that, and others felt very strongly that I shouldn't be, and were quite opposed to my leadership, and quite vocal, I might say. It was a period of nine months, a very difficult time. In fact, uh, my health broke during that time. Uh, those of you who have known me for years know that I, I do tend to be a healthy person. I can't remember the last time I've missed being in the pulpit because of illness, of course, will probably happen next week, you know, as soon as you say that. But um, but we don't believe in jinxes or things like that. That's nonsense superstition. But anyway, uh, some wanted me to be pastor. Some didn't. I was I was interim for nine months and I was the object of some very uh, hurtful accusations, especially from people that I had loved dearly. Some people I had discipled, in fact, some people I had poured my life into in training and working with them and uh I can't recall ever any one of them coming to me and saying, tell us your side. Tell us what is really going on. I was accused of all kinds of things. I was accused of masterminding a plot to get myself chosen as pastor. I got everybody out of here and I was masterminding this plot. In fact, the fellow who told me this, who said that people are saying this, knew me for years. And I said, how many years have you known me? I think it was like 10 years. I said, uh, do you think I'm smart enough to mastermind this plot? And he said, absolutely not. I said, you're right. I'm not I'm not that smart, even if I were to do that. For one thing, I would never do that. that. That would be horrible. For another thing, I'm not even bright enough to figure that out. And he had to agree. But but that was one of the things accused of masterminding this elaborate, elaborate Plot. I was criticized for my theology, specifically in the area of church government and elders. I had discovered through the scriptures and through listening to uh, tapes at that time of John MacArthur, who was not particularly well known at that point like he is now. But uh, John had introduced me to the thought of a plurality of elders. I was never taught that. I was never uh, aware of that. But as I got into the New Testament, I saw, of course, it is so plain. I couldn't believe that I missed it. And so um I, I taught that and Lakeside was really at a crossroads and I was I was accused of uh, of going against the Bible. The Bible, some said, taught a one man rule. And uh, I can't find that in scripture. But that's what I was accused of, that how dare I I preach anything other than than that. Uh Not only that, it was my theology under attack. My preaching was under attack. They said you preach too long, you preach over people's heads and they're just not going to stand for it. People are not going to they're, they're going to leave. And some people did. In fact, they told me that where I really belonged was in seminary and Bible college. Uh, They didn't mean that as a compliment, I might add. It wasn't a compliment. What they what they were saying is that's where you should be teaching. And so I said, so let me see if I understand you correctly. I should be teaching in a Bible college, training men, preparing for ministry. Yes. So I would prepare them to go back and be pastors like the one you don't want. Well, that really was was the issue. Then they said my decision making skills, they condemned that my uh, lack of of ministry and youthfulness were criticized. And uh, I would have agreed with that that last one. In fact, it was so bad that Michelle came to me with sort of tongue in cheek and say, you know, if I knew you were this rotten, I don't know if I would have married you. (laughs) And I must have said at the time, you don't even know half of it. There were some. There were even some, and I know you'll gasp when I say this. Of course, now I say it, you won't gasp, but there were some slanderous things said of me of an anti-Semitic nature. I knew there'd be that reaction, and and well, it should be. That's a horrible thing. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, maybe I should just resign. Why am I going through this? Why should I do this? Maybe it's best not only for me and my health, but for the the church to do this, and. I remember in light of that reading in John chapter 10, I'd like you to turn there. This is the passage that God used to turn me around. I really was on the verge of, of resigning because uh, it was a horrible time. So bad, I might add, that my wife didn't even want to come to church. I didn't even want to come to church. I had to. She didn't. John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus, of course, is speaking about himself being the good and ultimate shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep. sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. He's not concerned about the sheep. And God used that deeply to convict me. And I. Do I really care about the church or do I care about myself? And I determined that day that I'd be a shepherd and not a not a hireling. And so I and so I stayed because I realized that ultimately when all the attacks come at you and people say these things, you have to determine, am I Christ's servant or am I in it for my own popularity or what people think? And that's a that's a very difficult point to come to. But it, it you must come to that point. I'm reminded that Spurgeon during a very difficult time of his life said and the prayer was something like this. Lord, they've taken everything from me. I, I have nothing left. And now they want my reputation. That's all I have. But if that must go, then I give it to you as well. And that's sort of where, where I was at. And that's sort of where, where all of us at some time, maybe not quite to that degree, but at some time you have to come to a point is do you do ministry for him or do you do ministry for what people think? If you do ministry for him, then just accept the slander, the gossip about you. It's going to come. It comes with the territory and just keep plotting for Jesus. all. it's what Paul did. And ironically, it all the slander that came at him and the way he responded to it, had verified him as a true servant of Christ. Who personally suffered in his service rather than quit or renounce the Lord. There's one final phrase he mentions in verse uh, in verse eight. He says regarded as deceivers and yet true. Some said, and this is one of the evil reports circulating about Paul. Some said that Paul was a false apostle, a deceiver. But it was more than that. They said in his deception, he's leading people astray. It wasn't that Paul just said, I'm an apostle and nobody listened to him. If you listen to him, you're going to be led astray. That's a horrible accusation. Horrible. But you know what? Liberal theologians still say that of Paul today. Do you know what the liberal message is about Paul? It's basically this. Paul is considered by liberal theologians to have corrupted the very pure and original message of Jesus. And what was that message, they would say? Well, the message is this. Love Your enemies and do good to people and do unto others as you would have them do to you. That, they said, sums up the spirit of Christianity. And it was this rabbi who came along, took that simple, pure message and corrupted it by making it, building it into a complex theological system. And we have Paul to blame for everything today. That—that is—that That is the liberal view of the Apostle Paul. Yet he tells us, if you look at verse 8, He says, regarded as deceivers, and here's his response, and yet true. Paul was a true apostle. Paul spoke the truth. Paul was an inspired teacher of God's word. That's all that has to be said about it. He spoke the truth. Yet regardless of what others said about him, Paul wasn't distracted in his service for the Lord. He was Christ's ambassador, as I hope that you are as well. And when people have negative things to say about you and think ill of you, just keep enduring let's pray if you are the object of personal attacks and falsehoods understand you're in you're in great company you're with jesus you're with paul you're with spurgeon you're with others you're with every public figure who has ever stood for the gospel don't let it sidetrack you don't try to give all kinds of arguments and fight with With human devices and defending yourself, don't waste your energy on that. Just keep serving him faithfully. And as you get into the arena where error is there, you just meet it with the truth of the word of God. That's it. That's what we do. And like Paul, Jesus was hated. He was also loved. We who know him love him, but others hate him. So the question for some at least is, do you hate him? Do you hate him? If you don't love him, you hate him. You can't be neutral about Christ. How do you know if you love him? You're obedient to his word. You desire to obey. You're in submission to his authority. It's revealed in his word. Your heart's desire is to do what he says. If that's not your desire, then you do hate him because you're in rebellion to him. You need to be saved. I urge you to come to Christ today. I urge you to turn from your sin, renounce your sin. And see that Christ has died for you so that you could be forgiven and his righteousness would be on your account. You have none of your own. It's all of grace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word addresses such issues of the heart, Lord. And we are in great and deep admiration for Paul to be so vulnerable as to share these things with us. We know he like. The master, like yourself, was abused verbally, physically. And anyone who stands for you will have that, too. We thank you for those who love leaders, appreciate them. But we also know that there's slander and evil reports and all kinds of accusations. So, Lord, I pray for those in ministry now who are enduring this. May this encourage them. For those who will be in ministry, may this encourage them as well. And I pray that you'll take the gospel And apply it to hearts who need to turn to Christ. And we pray this in your name, Lord.
1: Amen. Amen. That was a powerful testimony. And it came at a good time for me as I'm dealing with some issues related to Pastor Steve's theme today. I hope you found encouragement too. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a daily Bible class of the year led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more information about Lakeside, call 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like a free CD with the entire message Pastor Steve just concluded, call Lakeside and ask for message 636, Hindrances to the Gospel, Part 6. The number again is 727-441-1714. You can also listen online at versebyverseradio.org. Click the Message Archive link and browse the hundreds of previous broadcasts available there. Or search for a specific date. That's versebyverseradio.org. If Verse by Verse is helpful in your spiritual life and you'd like to help fund these programs, there's information about that on our website, too. This is Jerry Peterson. I imagine almost all of us have been falsely accused, and there are a few experiences that are more painful or frustrating, especially when the accusation comes from other Christians. God knows the truth, but it seems like no one else does. Years ago, a pastor friend of mine was falsely accused, and I don't think he or the church ever completely got over it. My friend left the ministry altogether. Several people left the church, and those who remained were never quite sure what really happened. In our next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will begin the final sermon in this series on hindrances to the gospel. I hope you can join us.